What's up, everyone? This is Trey Van Camp, and you are listening to the Ministrade Podcast. Welcome to Theology of the Gospel class. Let's get this thing going. We are in week four. I hope you've enjoyed this class. I'd love for us to open with Scripture, so if you have your Bibles, open to Hebrews chapter 4. If you'd pray for me, for some reason I'm having a struggle uh, seeing tonight, so hopefully I'll be able to read the Scripture and actually do this well tonight. Okay, so Hebrews 4, verse 12, it says, For the Word of God is living, I love, I love this translation, is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is, it is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now, today we're going to be looking at God's revelation to man. The main question we're going to answer is, what is the Bible? So let us pray, and we'll get into uh, today's discussion. Father God, I'm so thankful for you. I'm thankful, King Jesus, Lord, as we talked about last week, that we get to be in the kingdom of God, and we get to uh, be involved in your kingdom purposes. God, I'm thankful, Lord, for this church. I'm thankful, Lord, for the churches represented here tonight. And Father, I pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom tonight, that we would leave here not just knowing the importance of the Bible, but knowing how to read it and dissect it. Father, God, you're good. Your love endures forever. And I pray, Lord, that you would have your way tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So tonight we're looking at what is the Bible. So I think this is so important to talk about because a lot of people, uh, we can easily develop a lifestyle in Christianity where we just come uh, to church and receive uh, the per, you know the pastor's labor and, and learn about the Bible, but we never take that next step to where we can study the Bible on our own. And so tonight is kind of the purpose is twofold, kind of showing uh, the theological background of the Bible, talking about its inspiration, talking about different way God's re, different ways God reveals Himself to us. But then I want to talk more practical, kind of talk about a few tips that I've used in order to understand my Bible, and so the hope is you can go anywhere in the Bible and at least have some sort of handlebars tonight on how to study the scriptures on your own. So we're, uh, as always, we have a definition. Uh, Baptist Faith and Message 2000 describes the Bible this way. It says, the Holy Bible was written by men, divinely inspired, that's an important word we're going to look at, and is God's revelation of himself to man. That could be a good enough definition, but they go further, and it's even better. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. Amen? It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. We believe that. Amen? At this church. Without any mixture of error. Therefore, all Scripture is totally true and trustworthy. How powerful is that, knowing that it, it is God from heaven revealing himself to man, and we can trust and know that if it's in the scriptures, then it's something we can hold on to and live life with. And so I'm just so privileged of that. So I want to talk about how did God reveal himself to us? Can we just, before we go any further, think about the fact that we do not deserve God revealing himself to us? Especially after we have sinned. We talked about that week one with the fall we lost every chance, we should have lost every chance to communicate with God. Because as we know, uh, in Genesis 1 and 2, God created the heavens and the earth. He created man to dwell among him. And so there was perfect unity there. But then Adam and Eve decided to become their own gods, at least tried to. And that was the fall. And so they broke the relationship with God. And we're all, uh, I think this was a couple weeks ago. Yes, two weeks ago, we were all born in sin. And so we are all initially in team Adam. And so we have to remember when we approach the scriptures, can you just imagine? 
imagine if every time we approach the scriptures, we are already thanking God because we don't deserve even a sentence in this word, but yet he's given us so much to grasp. I think that's so important as we uh, look into that. The first fill in the blank we're going to look at is creation. Now, you have two separate ways God has revealed himself. You have general revelation and you have special revelation. So the first category, general revelation, we can say no human on earth can deny God's existence because you can clearly see God in his handiwork. Like when I see my wife every day, I'm like, there's got to be a God. Amen. Is she even in here for me to get points? All right. So, all right, good. Okay. So, and it says, if you want to, uh, I really highly suggest you guys looking at these scriptures. I love it. Uh, a few of you guys last week said, thank you so much for last week's message. We went home and studied the scriptures that you spoke of. And, oh man, that just gave me goosebumps. Like I was so pumped about that. I hope that's why we give you these resources. But creation, it gives us a glimpse of God through his handiwork. Psalm 19.1 talks about that. You look at Romans 1, 19 through 23. So Psalm 19, one is a very positive like, wow, like you look at the trees, you look at the heavens, you look at the stars, there, there is clearly a God. Romans 1 says, it's kind of in the negative sense saying, look, you deserve to be judged because you can never claim that there is no God. Look at his handiwork, look at his creation, it is revealed from his creation. And so uh, if you've never been to the Grand Canyon, that will help you uh, in understanding God and, and that sort of thing. So creation is huge. So we have to be thankful for that. Uh, the next uh, uh, yeah, the next parallel we have, uh, the next category of general revelation is man's nature. Man's nature. It's the nature of humanity. God created within, when he created us, there's an internal law that is written on man's heart. Um, and so you could actually read Romans 2, uh, 16 through 19. Uh, it, it says, uh, sorry, 19 through 26, excuse me. Uh, it says that uh, it's very clear, man, so it talks about the, in that context, it talks about the Gentiles and how the Gentiles, they were using the excuse, well, we never knew the Mosaic law, so we're not sinners. And he says, no, no, no. Even though you never had the Mosaic law, you've always known what is right and what is wrong. Now, as we live our lives, it's kind of like a, you know when you put on tape for the first time, and if you're hairy like me, you pull it off, it hurts? But if you keep doing it over and over and over, it eventually loses its effectiveness. With sin, when we first experience it or first commit sin, we recognize its wickedness. But over time, Romans 1, passive wrath, I'm maybe getting too deep here, but what happens is when we sin over and over and over again, it starts losing its effectiveness because we start ignoring the reality of the pains of sin. Does that make sense? And so we all initially, we can't, we have to say, yes, our hearts know what's right and wrong, but if you live a life of sin, you can get to the point where you don't know what's right and wrong because you have so seared yourself and, and ruined your conscience. So, but that is initially, so, so here's what's so important before we go on to special revelation. I want to ask you this question. If an innocent man in Africa died and never heard the gospel of Jesus, does he go to heaven or hell? Everybody's like, I do not want to answer this one. Heaven. But here's the problem. There is no innocent man in Africa. Nobody is innocent. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And we have to recognize special revelation is grace upon grace upon grace. And how we are held accountable simply by staring at his creation. And even if you're blind and you can't feel or whatever, you still are given an internal law. We cannot escape the reality that we are, uh, we are uh, held accountable for our actions. 
Does that make sense? Okay, so I think that's very important. Now, special revelation is something we're very, very thankful for. Special revelation is the revelation that not all of us receive. Here in America, you have a lot of access to special revelation because we have Bibles everywhere. But there are people, I have friends, literally right now, who are among tribes. Uh, One's in Papua New Guinea, you have others in Indonesia and Africa. And what is happening is they are seeking to bring the Word of God to them because in their entire generation, that whole culture, that whole tribe has never heard the name of Jesus. And they don't deserve to hear the name of Jesus. But guess what? You and I don't deserve to hear the name of Jesus either. Amen? And so we are called to bring that forth that special revelation, mainly being God's word. But here's how God has revealed himself. And the first point is historical events. We see specific events that are recorded that are special events that God does with salvific significance. In other words, uh, God acting for his people. One of the easiest ways to know is the parting of the Red Sea, uh, the exodus of bringing his people from Exodus, I mean, sorry, from, Exodus, from Egypt and into the promised land. That is a historical event that occurred, and that is God's special revelation. You guys know, what did, what did, uh, what did God say when he saw Moses, uh, when Moses saw a glimpse of God in the burning bush, right? That for your standing on holy ground. Uh, I, before anybody was, I am. And this was special revelation. It was a historical event that actually happened. The next thing we have is divine speech. What God is specifically speaking to a particular person. So you have, for example, you have God, he speaks to Abraham. You have the call of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, where God is verbally talking to Abraham and saying, through you, I will bless all the nations of this earth, all people groups. Um, and so we have to know that's special revelation. Realize the reason why it's called special is because general revelation is, okay, there's a God. There, it, there's something there. Special revelation is God showing you how you can get to him. You see the difference there? Special revelation is actually a blueprint by which we can receive God. Um, now the next thing, very important, I'm a fan, is the person of Christ, person of Jesus. Uh, this is the highest form of God's revelation. You see that in Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. You see that in John 1, 1 through 18. And you also see that in John 10. And so, literally, Jesus is the Word made flesh. And the Word dwelt among us. Amen? And so, Him, He is special revelation. When He spoke, everything He said was divine speech because He is God. And so, everything He spoke was truth. And so that's also important for us to know. And that leads us, which really culminates all together, into Scripture. So Scripture is actually recording the historical events, re recording the divine speech, and recording the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so the Scripture is bound up, and it gives us something to hold on to, and, and it really gives us clarity on, on uh, God's special revelation. Uh, without Scripture, we would not have enough information to understand and interpret the other forms of special revelation. So I think that gives us special handlebars. So I would love if, if you go home tonight, just praise God for a while that not only has God revealed himself through his creation, but you are fortunate enough, even if you've never heard the Bible before, you're going to hear it tonight. We are so fortunate to have a, even a glimpse of God's word, let alone how much access we have. And I'm just, I'm blown away by that. Like that is such a cool truth. Okay, now I want to talk about the next topic, which is inspiration. You notice how we talked 
in the definition, it talked, it used this word inspiration. And so I'm going to be honest, there's so many things we could talk about with the Bible, inerrancy, infallibility, all sorts of stuff, but I figured inspiration might be a great way to summarize it. Here's the big question that we, it's not on your notes, but here's the struggle we all have. How can we really believe that all those different authors over more than a thousand years could put something together that has any relevance for us today? Think about it. Did you know the Bible is 66 books with 40 different authors, which spanned over 1,500 years in, in production? It also spanned uh, among three different continents. But what's so amazing is that even though, can you just imagine all those differences, and they didn't have the internet, so they couldn't cheat and figure out what everybody else was saying. There's no plagiarism, right? The Bible is still so consistent. It is unbelievable. And so we are putting together, I want, you to, I want to show you different views of the inspiration of Scripture and then what we believe. And so the first view we have, and again, I'm writing these down. Make sure you maybe put a side note, we don't believe this, okay? But this is what some people believe, is intuition. Put uh, for the point number one, a view of inspiration is intuition. Now, here, here's the definition of that. Intuition is the Bible is a book written by religious expert. Here's the problem. It is 100% human. And so essentially it's, they had, they're saying all these people, they just had a funny feeling. They had this intuition. And so they started writing stuff down to what they felt like was correct. Um, and, and as we know, there is no way that you can, the consistency we have in scripture, there's no way it was just a bunch of guys that had this weird random intuition. But this is a belief that people have. You know why people have that belief? Belief Makes it a whole lot easier not to follow it. Those are just humans. Men wrote that. You know, and so finding any, so that, that's something important to remember. Uh, the, the, next, uh, the next view of inspiration is elimination. In other words, the writers were especially open to the Spirit, but it has errors. And so um, it tends to be, uh, blah, blah, blah. Okay, it, it, I hope this makes sense. So in other words, yes, there were some God moments, but there's a lot of errors in the text. So again, I actually had a, we did this prayer walk in Riverside, California. I'm not, I'm not sure, maybe you were there, Zhang. And we went to this church of uh, the Christian Scientologists, which is different than Scientologists, but Christian Science. And uh, so I just, we were praying and I was felt led to go talk to this guy. And all of a sudden, 10 minutes in, I realized I'm preaching and I got like 50 of our students just sitting there like watching this fight. And I'm like, this is not the right, like, you're not, you're supposed to be praying, right? Like, this wasn't appropriate. I felt so bad for him. I'm like, I'm sorry I brought a whole crowd. Like, you, you feel like you're going to get beat up right now, you know? No laughter. Okay, so what was, so I was, guys, go pray. And so I met with him, and I'm like, why do you, you know, why do you think the things you do, and their big thing with them is that uh, Jesus came to heal, but he's not here to be our Savior. He's not God. And, and they don't believe Genesis 3, which is the depravity of man. They don't believe they're sinners. All this stuff. And it's fascinating when you talk to him. He's like, oh, Genesis 1 is correct, but 2 and 3 aren't. 5 and 6, fantastic. 7 and 8, 9 and 10 and through 12, those are wrong. Can you imagine living that way? That makes no sense. It's either the whole Bible or none of the Bible. And so for him, imagine, I mean, I imagine in the birth of that religion, that cult, they were like, okay, initially they thought Genesis 3 was true. But then they started thinking through it and said, that's not as fun to believe because that means we're all wicked. That means we're not good. It means we're dead spiritually. Let's take that out. 
okay, and it will never stop. Eventually, those kinds of, of groups eventually deny the Bible altogether. And so that's something that's important to know. Uh, the next view we have here is dynamic. Dynamic. The Bible is a human book with styles and personalities of the writers. Accurate and religious doctrine, but check this out, but not in a complete historical sense. This is really important to understand. So Bible's human, meaning, and that's okay, meaning that, so Paul is very clear, Paul does not write the same way Peter does, right? Moses did not write the same way David does. And that's great. Can that be an encouragement to us? When you see some great men of God, women of God being used by God, but they have a certain style, don't think you have to emulate that style. God gave you a style and present God the way God has gifted you to speak. So I think that's very helpful for us. But the problem here is that it's accurate in religious doctrine, but not in a complete historical sense. And so you're able to say, um, okay, maybe, uh, I don't know if, how deep I want to get into this, but they're saying, okay, that war didn't actually happen the year that the Bible said it happened. But we say, no, we believe it did happen because the Bible says so, and so we're operating off of that. And so really, they're basing that maybe off of one other ancient document that's not the Bible. So they're putting more weight on one document that isn't the Bible than one document that is the Bible. I'd rather put the weight on the Bible document than the non, you know what I'm saying? And so that's kind of, now let me also say there are great Christians that have this view. Um, what's helpful for this situation is historical events. And so it's, in other words, has it doesn't take away sin. It doesn't take away any actual doctrine. It's just more like it didn't happen in, in you know, 2000 BC, it happened in 1800 BC. Big whip, okay? But, so you don't, don't stone somebody for having this view, just for the other ones. Stone them. I'm just, okay. Wanting some sort of laughter this morning. Okay, tonight. All right, here's the last one. Okay. Um, I, I skipped a, I realize, I think I did this on purpose, but I skipped one. So I'm just going to explain this one. It's not in your notes, but verbal I'm sorry, I'll try to correct that next time. The Bible is a human book showing the personality and style of the authors and is a divinely inspired book with the words of the Spirit. The reason I didn't tell you that is because that's ex- uh, now I remember our view explains. So we're just going to skip over that because I'm going to talk about it more after. But it's technically called verbal. But here is the other view, dictation. Um, dictation is very fascinating. The Bible is a divine book inspired by the Spirit, but the human writers are passive. Uh, it's very interesting. In other words, they believe that uh, they just got knocked out and their hand is just working and they're just like writing everything. So humans are not, there's no style in the human. It's just completely whatever God said, you're just putting it down. Okay. Um, the reason why we don't believe that is because it's clear. You, you read Paul, like he is so different compared, and I've already mentioned that. So it again brings us back to the how great is it that God uses all sorts of styles and so we have to remember I had a, a professor tell me one time he said when somebody comes up to you and says you had a great sermon thank them don't say it was all God because trust me if it was all God you would still be on your flat on your face praising like huge revive the entire world would get saved right so the, there's clearly an element in your sermon where you were there and so thank them for that compliment and move on you know like how how arrogant is that that was just all god you know <laughs> like wow then we need to publish this everywhere right if that was all god like what are we doing still talking and so i think that's important to remember but let me uh, have our uh let me let me explain our view 
our view is that the human authors of the Bible were inspired by God, the Holy Spirit, to write exactly the words that God intended them to write. So in other words, the authors did not escape reality and start writing without knowing what they were doing. God did not knock them out and have them write in their sleep. The human authors wrote from their own experience, personalities, and situations, which I'm thankful for. I'm thankful you have someone who, in Scripture, you have that person who uh, grew up in a Christian home. And so, like Timothy, he always had... Um, well, he didn't write anything, but you have uh, James, who always who grew up with Jesus, who has a different experience than Paul, who literally killed Christians. So, very thankful for that. And then the last thing, we this is so important, that we must agree and affirm, or else this Bible loses its power. God's leading was sure, intentional, and perfect, even while they wrote out of their own unique personalities and situations. Only God can do that, amen? He's able to do that. All right, so now I want to look at, are we doing good so far? We are flying through it tonight, and that is totally okay. I want to look at the implications of inspiration. This is really where rubber meets the road. This is why we, a lot of people say, why do you, you know, why do you fight over doctrine? Like, why is, is there really a big difference between verbal and, you know, and dictation and all these things? Well, there's a big reason because when you believe something, whatever you believe determines your behavior. And so you, if you have even the slightest wrong belief, it will eventually turn itself into a very, very bad behavior. And so we are seeking and we're relying on church history. We're relying on, on scripture to help guide us and, and making it where it's very, very clear what God has called us to do. And we're trying to stay as faithful to it as possible. So look at the implications of inspiration. Here's the first thing. If we affirm that the Bible is truly inspired by God, then we need to affirm that everything in the Bible is true. In other words, the Bible is reliable. But what's so great, we're going to look at this a little bit in a, in a few minutes. So maybe I shouldn't talk about it. But in other words, it's important for you to understand the Bible in the right context. Because you can make the Bible say anything, and they'd be like, it must be true. You know, so that's, we temper that. So that's important to remember. The next thing we know, um, point number two, is if God is the author of the Bible, which we agree that he is, then the Bible means something. The ultimate meaning is what God, the author, intended it to mean. I literally just said that. I guess it was literally a few seconds later. God's, what he meant is what actually what it means. It's very interesting. In, in our culture, what, what's the question we were raised to ask when we're studying the Bible? What does this mean to me? That's incorrect. Because it first must mean, what does this mean to God? And what does this mean to the original audience? Now that I've taken that principle, how does this apply to my life? You see the difference there? Because if we just look, if we go straight to, what does this mean for me? We can wind up with very, very selfish answers, and it winds us up to where the Bible didn't even mean it at all. And so we, we can easily, the Bible... Um, can mean something it never meant. I want you guys desperately to laugh today, so I'm going to share one story, and then we will move on. Uh, so we <laughs> YouTube it. There's this guy. He's this pastor. It's so bad. He lives in Arizona, too. So I was at Cal Baptist, and it was like one of my very first biblical interp classes, and they're like, guys, watch this video. And then they showed the pastor, and then they're all like, well, he's from Arizona, so it makes sense. I'm like, whoa, bro. And so I had to stick up for my state, and they're like, you guys are all hicks down there. California, home of the fruits and nuts. And so I was just trying to 
stick up to for Arizona, but it's hilarious. Like this guy is all over the news all the time. He got like tased in the head for all the he's bad, okay? But he he looks at this passage, I think it's Ezekiel, it's crazy. In the King James, it talks about these men and how uh <laughs> These men weren't fit for the work of God or something like that. And it talks about how these men, excuse my language, it's not even bad language, but they peed sitting down. And so you have like a 30-minute sermon about why when he went to Germany and he went to, and there was no urinals in the bathroom, but he still stood up and went while standing because he would not be a sissy la la man who sits down and like he just starts preaching and he's like you need to be men and just like and all the people there actually doesn't show the crowd I imagine is like his wife you know but he's like we need to it's like a revolt you know like how do you apply your sermon I'm never sitting down again you know and so like why what like you can literally that's when I knew you can make the Bible say anything you want which is what's terrifying when we try to read our scriptures outside of the context of the local church and have people who are spiritually mature above us and helping those who are below us, do you see the, the, the importance of community here? It's important for us to know history. It's important for us to do these things because we can find ourselves. I, man, I've, I've used scripture in very bad ways in, before. Like, you know, this God, God, this means I need my iMac, you know, like that's, and so it's, forgive me, it's only a couple weeks ago. So, uh, number three. If the Bible is God speaking, then everything in the Bible is there on purpose. Do you guys see the significance of that? It means you don't skip a verse. It means, wait, this is here for a purpose, and here's, here's the attitude we must have. If this text makes no sense to me, then I'm missing something. If this Bible verse, and I love this truth, if this passage sounds pointless to me, then I miss the whole point, and I need, more than any other text in the world right now, I need to go back and study and figure out what God is trying to tell me here, because there's probably gold there that I could have just walked right by. And so we have to have this mentality. Books like Leviticus. You guys, who's ever read all of Leviticus? You guys are champs, okay? Yeah, you really blush at Leviticus 18, don't you? And so it's very awkward, you know? But there's a purpose there. And I could get into the purpose of Leviticus. Talk to me after. It's a fantastic book. Uh, even gene- By the way, even genealogies have a purpose, right? But selfishly, you know, like I try to read my Bible, you know, uh, once a year. And I love the weeks when it's like just all genealogies because I just skim through it like crazy. I'm like, all right, did my Bible read for the day? I'm a good Christian, you know, because you just, but forgive me, Lord. All right, point number four. The Bible is still speaking today, amen? If the Bible is God speaking, we need to realize that the Bible is still speaking today. Referencing Hebrews 4.12, which is we started out with, it's able to penetrate our souls and spirit. The Bible has the ability to transcend time and culture and convict us today. That's what fascinates me. No matter how different our culture gets, it's always God's word that is just the perfect thing at the perfect time. Guys, it was written the most recent part of the Bible was written 2,000 years ago, and it could still hit you across the face every morning. It just blows me away. We have something so powerful. All right, time for a little bit of history, okay? Historical application we have here. I'll put a little bit of notes here so you can maybe take it down. What happened in, 
really I'm sharing this story to talk about the significance of knowing where you stand on the Bible, because this story kind of shows you how it leads one direction or the other. Uh, in, in the late, starting in 1860 and really even up to 1925, have you, have you guys ever heard of the Scopes trial, the monkey trial? Yeah, this was actually the culmination of this issue. But what you have is the fundamentalists argued about the legitimacy of the Bible versus the modernists. And so uh, what was happening here, especially during this time, there's a few ideologies that were rising during this day. Darwinism, you guys have heard of that? Darwinism was created. And so this was something people were thinking in the back of their minds. So they're thinking, wow, it's Darwinism, evolution. So we need to start taking out Genesis chapter 1. That, that was what people were starting to, to think. Marxism was also on the rise. And there was a very, very, uh, the culture was just swinging to where there's, and this was in America, by the way, very high criticism of all of Scripture. We started nitpicking. I think it began with evolution, and then people just started trying to nitpick every little part of the Bible. And so what was happening is the churches had, they, I like to think of it a lot of life, isn't it? A pendulum swing, and, and hopefully most of our life we're in the middle, right? Like there's something about being in the middle of the tension. Well, you have liberalism at its highest form was very, we would say in our terminology, on the left side. But then fundamentalism, they take the fun out of fundamental, they are all the way on the right, okay? And so I, I kind of want to explain what happened. The people, so you had pastors getting together, and the modern church realized this. They said, okay, we need more people, which, by the way, is a very scary, th scary thing. If the church makes people a priority over God, something bad is going to happen, right? And so they're saying, we need more people. The people don't believe the Bible, so what do they do? They started putting away their Bibles. They would come and say, just come as you are, and we would just kumbaya together and have a lot of fun together. What is fascinating, if you look his at history, those churches started exploding, because it was a great message. Like, hey, let's just all have fun together. Let's not talk about sin. Let's do, you know, like happy-go-lucky stuff, and let's sing kumbaya. But then, liberalism, I mean, fundamentalism was on the other side. They saw the modern movement, and they decided we don't want anything to do with that, okay? And so then, they actually had some good principles. Uh, they, they, their uh, fundamentalism was based off the five fundamentals and it was actually a refute against liberalism. And here's the five, if, if you want to take notes, I don't have it on there. But they said the Bible is infallible. Amen. Human beings are sinners. Agreed. Christ dies as a substitute. Amen. Resurrection is historical. So good. Jesus will culminate history with his return. Those five were indirect because that means what were the liberals teaching? They were saying the Bible is not infallible. They were saying that human beings are not sinners, and so on and so forth. You guys see the situation, but here's the problem. The fundamentalists, they got so caught up in this ideology that they started making it where if you don't, if you don't go to a Christian school and only watch Christian movies, which they didn't have movies, but you know, if you only read Christian books and had Christian mints, and everything had to be Christian or else you are not a good believer in Jesus. Anybody else grow up that way, right? And so you had the fundamentalism and then liberalism. What's fascinating is the fundamentalists, as you can probably imagine, they had a tight-knit community, but it never really grew because it was just us four and no more. But those, they, they had Scripture memorized. They knew the truth of God, but they did not display the love of God. See, it all stemmed from their view of the Bible, and their view of the Bible, what's most important is that this is right, 
And if you don't believe that, then I am done with you. But liber, uh, the, liber, uh, the, the uh, modernists said, it doesn't matter, say as you go, whatever. You look at history, remember, fundies, they didn't really grow very fast. But the modernists, they blew up. But you know what happened a few years later? Down there a couple, like I think it took two decades. Almost all of them shut their doors. Because it's only the Bible that has true power. And it's the Bible that changes people's lives. And what happened in this modernist movement, they started getting together and they're like, why are we meeting? I'm not a sinner. We don't have to go to church. Then why am I at church? Woo! Eat, drink, and be merry. You know, and so the resurrection. And so it, they, those preachers preached them out of a job because they, they were so caught up in that moment. And we see streams of that today when we make it about let's forget the Bible, let's get a little bit soft on that. And those things happen. Your church can grow faster, but in the long term, it does damage to your soul and it does damage to entire community because you start really living out the implications of what happens when you don't believe that the Bible is fully inspired by God and we must believe every word. You guys see the difference there? And so let us learn from history and not repeat those mistakes. And so I just love that story, especially as a, as a preacher. So uh, if you leave my church, I'm like, well, you know, you're just a modernist. Or something, I don't know, something to make myself feel better. Okay, now... How do I read my Bible? That's the next question. Wouldn't you guys love to read your Bible better? I'm going to try to do as much as I can these next few minutes to teach you how to read your Bible better. But here's my desire. I don't know the quote. I know I should have looked it up before. But something about how if you teach a man how to build a ship, oh, that's great. But if you teach a man the vastness of the ocean, if you show them how incredible the ocean is, they're going to figure out a way to build a ship. Does that make sense? You know, if you don't teach somebody the vastness of the ocean, they build a ship and they're not going to want to go out into it. And so my hope is tonight we recognize how amazing Scripture is. And so it, it causes us to learn beyond tonight and start. And so here I'm kind of giving you a 30,000 over, feet overview of what Bible reading looks like. And you can take these concepts and dive deeper into those and study those. And I think it will help you dramatically. Okay, so the... Uh, um, let's read the little thing I wrote in red. Bible reading is essential to the Christian life. We'll let that sink in. Essential, not suggested. Most people miss out on the power of God's word because they do not use the proper tools. I love this. Actually, I think I got, John Piper said something like this, but I couldn't, I couldn't find the actual quote. But he says, raking is easy, but you only wind up with leaves. Digging is difficult, but you wind up with gold. If we have the proper tools and we have the heart and passion to learn from this scripture, I, f I feel like so many of us, we're so tired of our Bibles because we never actually got into it. Because raking gets old, but when you get that gold, okay, first thing we must know, and we talked about this in week one, but I wanted to remind us, the Bible is one grand story. We have the creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Because of time, I'm just going to ask you to go to week one on the audio if you missed that. But essentially, this Bible, it's all one grand narrative, and it starts with creation. Right away, it's the fall. And throughout the whole Old Testament, you see the, a little bit of fall and redemption. Actually, the rest of these three. You see the prophets trying to call the people back to God, but they are fallen creatures, and they continually let God down, and they turn the other way. It's in the New Testament, too, by the way. <laughs> And then what we have in the Old Testament is, but redemption is coming. 
Messiah is coming. You've done messed it up. We've all done messed it up. Isaiah, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. But the beauty is that Jesus is coming. And so the Old Testament, they were saved by trusting that the Savior was coming. We are saved by trusting that the Savior has come. And so redemption has come. We have been redeemed. Remember week one, we are born in the image of God, and we are being renewed and being built back into the image of God. And then you have restoration. Restoration is partly with what we do here. We are looking to restore the city, the community, the way God had originally intended it. So that means that's why we fight so hard for family values, because that's how God intended it to be. So we're looking to restore that, and yada, yada, yada. Throughout the scripture, we see the church, Paul is calling them, look, you've been redeemed, so now it's your job to restore. Restore the relationships you have with God, restore your relationship you have with man, and, 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 and so on and so forth. So that's very important for us to get it. You guys got that? So we can't, if you read scripture without this lens, you find yourself looking just for fun stories and morals, but not actually depending on Jesus who has saved us and recognizing we have a much greater purpose than to just be nice. That was good, Trey. Thanks, Trey. You're welcome, Trey. All right. Now, let's look at... Yeah, okay. Let's look at the uh, the Bible is a literary work. So important. I love... One of my favorite classes at CBU is biblical interpretation. And in fact, I've even considered us going through that one time as we're doing these kind of uh, seminary type sessions. I'd love for us to go through that book. What's fascinating is one of the biggest things you have to remember is that this is just like any other literature. You have to understand how to read it. You have to understand who the author is. You have to understand the culture by which they're writing. And, and so like even just think um, the, the Berlin Wall, they, they said it was like a I don't know the exact phrase, help me old people, but uh, <laughs> uh, like the, the, the boom that was heard around the world or the crash or the bomb or the whatever, what was the phrase? Somebody, did Reagan say it? I don't know, but it's something where it's like, you know, that was hurt, that was, what? Yeah, but there's something where it literally says like, it shook the whole earth. Yeah, that was the quote. Like when that fell, the whole earth shook, right? Think about people well, because we have technology, it's a lot easier to actually look at history. But think about people 2,000 years from now. They don't understand our language, and they think, wow, the entire earth had an earthquake when that wall fell down. You guys see that misinterpretation? So it's important for us to understand, okay, there's this thing called exaggerating. There's this thing to make a purpose. Like, what did Jesus say? If your eyes caused you to sin, what did he tell you to do? How come your eyes are not gouged out yet? Because praise the Lord, you properly read the text, or you just ignored it. But whatever, I'm just thankful, okay? But throughout church history, people have done that. They have gouged their eye out. Um, that's a fun story, but I won't talk about it. The first one we have is narrative. This is mainly found in the Old Testament, but you also found it. Uh, technically, the gospel is its own literature as, as well, but we have to understand, Old Testament especially, you have a narrative literature. Now, the narrative... This is so important. These stories are written to point to God's grace for his people. And the definition I put for you guys, they aren't written for the reader to have to find clues for hidden meanings. This rocked my world. This is so encouraging for you who doesn't quite understand the Bible. Sometimes preachers get up, and I've heard great preachers, but I've actually learned to disagree because as I've, this is what I was taught at Cal Baptist. Uh, one of my favorite preachers ever, I'm not going to single him out, but he talked about, uh, people, you guys are going to get mad at me when I share this, but 
Noah's Ark, and he, and he looked at each element of the wood and each element of, of the, uh, all these things, and he, comp- and he said, okay, that means this is Jesus' blood, and this means the actual cross. I think that's getting a little bit too into it because when you start reading Scripture that way, again, you can find yourself getting crazy meanings out of the text. You know, like they walked to Jerusalem. Oh, this means, you know, no, it just, they walked to Jerusalem. They didn't have a car. That's what that means. Let's move on. You know, and so Old Testament narratives, we just want to get so creative and so fun and keep your people at your church. So guess what? I got something else to share with you that you have never heard or seen because it should never be heard or seen, right? And so we have to understand that the Old Testament narrative, there's not hidden meanings. It's this overall purpose, this beautiful story. We have to look at creation, fall, redemption, restoration. We have to look at, by the way, in Old Testament narratives, Joseph is still a sinner, right? All these humans, they're humans. And uh, like the narrative of David slaying Goliath. In that moment, though, guess what? You're not David. You are the scaredy cats sitting on the sidelines wondering if anybody's going to take over that giant and jesus is david stepping in and said i got that giant you guys see that we have to look at the narrative always looking for jesus in the text and not for some crazy whatever i should have brought some more funny illustration it's funny just google it it's like bad old testament it's just funny okay here's the next one prophecy this one is always so confused, and I want us, again, I would suggest um, looking up, uh, actually, I'm going to give you a resource at the end. It's actually on the, the back of, at the end of the, your booklet so far, and I suggest if you want to look into these literary works, purchase the book that I rec- recommend, because I don't want to say look online, because that's scary. I don't know what website you're on, and so go to this, and it will help you in this literary. But prophecy is major and minor prophets were given the task to call God's people back to their covenant relationship. Do you know the difference between major and minor? The size of the book. It's not anything special. It's just the minor prophets, praise the Lord, they're short, quick, simple, to the point, right? Like Pastor Billy, let's just get this thing going, right? Trey, it's like, oh, major prophet, and here he goes again, you know? So... (laughs) major minor okay but you guys are thinking no he's major you're minor league i got it okay but prophecy the main point of prophetic books in the old testament please listen to this is not enough oh this means barack obama okay can we just put that out there and some of you just got real mad at me but here's the thing if you're walking away trying to figure out more of the future rather than leaving an old testament prophecy and being repentant of your heart and what you've been doing you've been reading it wrong now, I do believe prophecy is future stuff, stuff that is not yet to happen. But most of that book is applicable to today, and it's all about, wow, we are fallen creatures, and we need God's radical saving power and grace. And what we have the beautiful opportunity, like when we read Isaiah 53, we can say, that's Jesus. He already did it for me. He bore my sins. That's the main purpose of prophecy, Okay. I saw somebody go like this. Praise the Lord, Kenny. Thank you. Okay, now, I'm about to preach if you keep doing that. Okay, wisdom and poetry is the next form of literature. These books are written to guide us to make godly decisions. A proverb a day keeps the devil away, not really, but something like that. Proverbs, I love reading one proverb a day. So if you've never done that, if you've never read your Bible at all, I think a good start Today is August 2nd. Go home and read what? Proverbs chapter 2. 
Every day, whatever day it is, read that chapter because guess what? There's 31 chapters. It's like God did something so cool there, all right? And so you can always just read your Bible, except in February. You're going to get gypped. But every other month, pretty much, you're going to read the whole book of Proverbs. And remember, in February is my birthday. Okay, so wisdom and poetry. Here's what's so important in understanding this. Like the Proverbs, did I put this? Okay, this is so good. Proverbs are not legal guarantees from God but are powerful principles to follow. Like a text, it says, raise, what does it say? Raise your child up in the way he should go, and he will never depart from it, right? But I know some men of God who raise their children the right way, but their children are not following Jesus, okay? So, it's like, can I say, it's probably, I don't want to put percentages on it, but nine times out of ten, that's probably going to work. But you have to also remember we're in a fallen world. A lot of these things, no matter what you do right, the world's going to let you down. And so they're, uh, I'm going to use the right phrasing that I put, Proverbs are not legal guarantees. So many people get mad at God and say, God, I did this because it said this in your Proverbs and you didn't fulfill. No, these were just great principles to follow. Uh, I just think that's important to know. That makes sense? So wisdom and poetry, uh, they help us the reason for wisdom and poetry, too, by the way, is it enables us to live lives that are separated from this world, but yet in it. It enables us, it gives us wisdom on how to minister to this world and be different from them, but still among them. That's one of the great purposes of wisdom and poetry. And poetry, just read Song of Solomon with your wife tonight. Praise the Lord. All right, next, apocalyptic. Apocalyptic writing. Now, this is the one all y'all love, Okay. This is the Barack Obama passages. I'm just kidding. It's not. These books are written to warn and encourage us of the future. Can we just highlight encourage us? Right? Those books sell because fear sells. And so people write these books. The reason why, you're going to die tomorrow. Great. I'm not going to waste my time reading your book. I'm going to go to Disneyland. You know, but like it's this constant fear and we feed into it. Uh, but, but we have to, when we read apocalyptic writing, we cannot feed into that fear. Here's what's so important to remember. I didn't put this in your notes, but it's so important to know. Always remember that the audience was under persecution, and these books served as a call to perseverance. Even the book of Revelation, we think it's a so mystic thing that nobody knows... Revelation was so applicable to the first century Christians because they were writing about the wickedness and the evil antichrists that were among them. And he, John wrote this as an encouragement to them. And their main encouragement was, guess what? Jesus wins. And guess what? This is hard right now, but I'm calling you to persevere in the power that is only found in God alone. And I think the way we're trending those prophetic books, these apocalyptic writings are going to be so encouraging for us in the future because as we experience more and more persecution, I think these books will be enlightened more and more. Not so that we can figure out, okay, another September 11th. Like I literally saw someone prove, prove in the Bible that September 11th was, uh, they guessed it. Like if you read Revelation, you just, you like literally have to like add and subtract and divide and it's, <laughs> it's crazy. But again, it does warn of stuff like that, right? That there will be terror, you know, like, so it's this balance, okay? So we can't use it to figure out when's the next date. We don't know the time or the hour. The point is God reigns. He wins. There's a reason we can persevere even in this mess and let us keep striving for Jesus. I'm not going to spend any more time on that point. Uh, now, here's the next one, gospel. What are the gospels? 
Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Those are the Gospels. Okay? So the Gospels, they're also its own literary work. These four books are written to walk us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We have to always remember that. If you walk away from the Gospels and not think about Jesus, you done did it wrong. Okay? Especially the entire Bible. A quick side note, Matthew was written to a Jewish audience. So you have to read it with that understanding. Mark sought to show Jesus' power. That's why my dad loves this. It's like boom, boom, pop, boom, pop. Like it's just like miracle after miracle after miracle. It's just amazing. So that was Mark's point. Uh, Luke was a doctor that wrote with a skeptic in mind. We just, at, at Passion Creek, we just finished that series. Absolutely phenomenal. Luke thought with the skeptical mind himself. So he investigated God, the God-man Jesus. So if you're a skeptic, read the book of Luke. And John has a completely different style than all the other three. What you have, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels. They go in line pretty well with each other. John is like, I'm doing my own thing. Drop the mic, okay? I love the book of John. Yeah, his focus was on the deity of Jesus Christ. He says that in the very first, in the beginning was the word, and at the end, that, that was he said, he said that that was his point. Okay, the last thing is the epistle. The, this one's my favorite. I love the epistles. Epistle just means uh, letters written to the local church. So this is Paul. Paul wrote 13 letters to a church or to a pastor. What I love about the epistles is every word brings so much weight. You need to investigate each word. Narrative, there's this grand story, but the epistle, you can't skip over a word. You got to dive into that. You got to realize. Now, a six-year-old can read an epistle and get something out of it, okay? It's not that you have to be brilliant, but what's so great, doesn't matter how old you get, no matter how much you learn, every time you go back to this Bible, there's something new there, amen? And so something else that helps us. So these, you have to study the entire letter because every chapter goes together. Like uh, Ephesians is fascinating how it all lines up. Ephesians, it starts with cosmic truth, and then it slowly but sure it gets down to very practical stuff. So he goes from this big 30,000 feet down to the ground level. Actually, that's how Paul mainly wrote. If you read uh, the book of Romans, it's these huge cosmic truths down to Romans 12, outdo one another in showing honor. Love one another, right? Hate evil, do good, like all this stuff. So that's important to know. And here's the last thing, and then we're, we're going to be on our last little ditty. But when we read the epistles, again, for example, this is First and Second Corinthians, right? First, second Timothy, Titus. When we read it, we have to apply it and think of it and read it in the context of the local church. It was written to a church. It wasn't just written to you. Even to second Timothy, he was speaking in terms of the church. And so one of the biggest problems we have in our culture is what does this mean for me? No, first of all, what does it mean for God? What does it mean for the audience? And then what does it mean for us as a collective body? which is why we gather together, and the pastor, he applies this message, not just for your life, but what does this mean for us, okay? So that's super important. I think the Bible will be unlocked if you start reading that way. Now, I want to look at the four C's of Bible reading. This is kind of brief and quick, but I think it'll be helpful. First of all, learn the context. Here's a very, uh, just very practical tip you can write on your notes. Download on, on your iPhone or even Android, whatever, uh, look up ESV Study Bible and download that app. Or go on Amazon or go to the actual store. Haven't done that in years. But go and buy a study Bible. My recommendation is the ESV Study Bible. 
What's cool is ESV, written by Cross, like published by Crossway, it has several different kinds of study Bibles. Uh, one of them is my, one of my favorites. It's called the Gospel Transformation Bible. I'm going to say it one more time. It's the Gospel Transformation Bible. What this does is it, it's, it's not a line-by-line -line study Bible. What it is, it's okay. In this chapter, here is in the Old Testament, here's how it's pointing to Jesus. The entire Gospel Transformation Study Bible is this is how it points to Christ. It's fascinating, super helpful read. Um, also, again, uh, any, uh, any study Bible, but I specifically would love to recommend the ESV Study Bible. So in learning the context, I also suggest you read the book's intro on study Bibles. It gives an introduction. It talks about the author. It talks about the time. It talks about what the audience is going through. If you read the intro and then read the actual book, It'd be, you'd be amazed how much more you're ready to take these truths and apply and understand what's going on. Because these study Bible people, they have done their work in studying their culture uh, of, of that audience. And so let them do the work for you. Um, and, and another thing I suggest for learning context, don't be a one-verse person. Don't be a Philippians 4.13, I'm going home. Do you realize how powerful Philippians 4.13 is if you read all of chapter 4? It's amazing. It's not just a verse for you to become Michael Jordan, right? It's a verse to when, when you're starving, God is still enough, and he will strengthen you in the worst of times, and he will also be there in the best of times. So much better. Although I wish God applied that, maybe Michael Jordan, but we'll move on. I'll bring that up to him later. Okay, so learn the context. Next thing is look for Christ. And remember, the Bible is one grand story that points to Jesus Christ. If you don't believe me, mark in your notes Luke 24, verse 27. I wish I was here at that moment. Jesus gathers them together and walks from Moses to the prophets, goes through the whole Bible and says, this is how it points to me. That was the best theology of the gospel in the world. Okay, sorry, we're not fulfilling that, but we're trying to get close. So look for Christ. It's tempting to think that the Bible brings power when we make it about ourselves, but that is not the case. David is a picture of slaying the giant of our sin. Moses is a picture of Jesus delivering us from the slavery of sin and death. All of these pictures are pointing ultimately to Christ. You are not the hero. There is one hero in the Bible, and it's Jesus. Amen, right? Do you realize how comforting that is? Because <laughs> I know me. I'm not powerful enough to pull this thing off. But that's why I love the epistles, because Paul constantly says what? No, it's not me, but it's Christ in me, the hope of glory. It's always going back to Jesus Christ. And if you leave your Bible study... Not saying, wow, God, thank you for this truth. Thank you, Jesus. May you live that in and through me. Then there's no, of course, you're tired of reading your Bible because you haven't read it right. Of course, you have no idea how to do it because you've missed the one important key, and that's Jesus. It will not bring power if you don't see Jesus. In other words, it's not about a book of morals. It's not basic instructions before leaving earth. It's something much bigger and better than that. All right, listen for the call. Every passage of Scripture is calling us to action. Praise the Lord. Now, what's interesting, sometimes it's very direct. It's a command. Other times, we're learning from them from example. You know, like we're saying, okay, clearly this person did this and it led them to this situation, so that means I ought not do this. Or this person did this and it led them to this situation. I ought to do that. You know what I'm saying? So you have to really look for it. You know, it's not in the Bible at the end. It just shows them bold. So here's what you must do. Sometimes God does that. Sometimes he doesn't. Uh, so here's some questions you can ask. I'll try to be slow so you can write this down. Is there a sin to repent of? When you're reading scripture, 
in your little notes, some people, uh, I know I do this in my journal, I ask this question, I answer it according to that passage. Is there a sin that you need to repent of? Next question to ask, is there a principle that I need to follow? So sometimes it's not just repenting, you know, it's not like, hey, you know, you're just, you're evil. But sometimes it's, hey, calling us to a higher standard, calling us to love, whatever it is. So is there a principle that you need to follow? This one's so hard. (laughs) Is there a person you need to love or forgive? I love it. It's in the Bible. It says before you go to worship, what? Drop everything. If someone has some, if you have something against someone or someone has something against you, go and make it right. That's not a suggestion. So all throughout the text, is there someone you need to love or forgive? And when you read about Jesus in the Gospels, a lot of times it's love your enemy. Last one. Is there a blessing I need to thank God for? Is there a blessing I need to thank God for? Now, there's so many things I want to keep talking about, but next week we're kind of going deeper into what we call the spiritual discipline. So how do we pray, right? How do we meditate on God's word? How do we memorize? Here's a big one I think is going to be fascinating. It's kind of most of my thing. What is fasting? How do we fast? So I don't want to get, all of these are kind of culminated while we read our Bibles. So come next week for some of that application. Uh, So I just was going to share a lot, but I realized that's for next week. So listen for the call. And the last thing is lean into community. I love it. The Bible is, Bible reading is both a private and public practice. Do you know what scripture says that? Do not forsake the gathering. And it talks about the public reading of scripture. There's something so powerful. Hebrews 10. Yeah. Uh, there's something so powerful. It's also in First uh, Timothy 4. Something so amazing about us just gathering together and listening to the word of God corporately. That's why I love that oftentimes we stand up while the, during the reading of scripture or something is super powerful and I'm, I'm convicted I want to do more of where we all read it out loud together. Because these words have power, amen? And when we say them together, it's a sign of unity, believing that these words are true and they will not return void. Okay, so uh, my thing with lean into community, grab a partner to read the Bible with. Husband, step up, read the Bible with your wife, right? Now, I believe there's very important to have personal time, but let's also have corp, uh, group time. Also, find a mentor to guide you to uh, help you through the tough parts of Scripture. Uh, seek to apply God's Word with other brothers and sisters in Christ. This is, the Christian life is impossible. There's only one person who pulled it off, and his name is Jesus. They named it after him. But what's great is God calls us to do this together and we're able to be sanctified and further in our walk with Jesus when we don't do it alone. The Word of God was never meant to be applied in an island. Okay, here's the last thing. Here's some final tips. Again, we could have gone deeper, but I, I didn't want to overwhelm. And I feel like my hope tonight is that you just get a taste and you kind of dive in deeper into all of these things. I've given you more than enough to apply for tonight, right? Okay, so here's the final tips I would say. Pick a place. I'm talking about reading God's Scripture. What's helpful for me is I've picked a place in my home where I go and read my Bible. And I've set it, I've designed it to where there is no other distractions, it's just me and him. You see the importance of that? And some people, like me and Kenny were talking yesterday, for some of us it's not like, like for me too, very much of it is while I'm running. Listening to scripture and running is a great place for me because I 
I run away. Like, I don't, don't talk to me. I'm running, right? And so, like, people just get away from me. And so that's a great time for me to meditate and think upon the scriptures. So pick a place. Um, not your bed because you'll fall asleep, you know. I, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe you're whatever. Pick a time. This changed my life when I realized Bible reading isn't going to happen unless I schedule it to happen. And so for the longest, I've always been that guy, read the first thing in the morning or you're not a real Christian, okay? Now, that's how I operate, and I love it. But I've realized i got friends like Zhang, and, dude, he's not his real person until about noon, right? Like, it's like, don't talk to me. <laughs> he was in my vlog yesterday, and, like, he's this nice, bubbly person, but I filmed him at, like, 7 a.m. That was not a smart idea. He's like, get that camera out of it, right? And so for some of us, sorry, Zhang. <laughs> For some of us, we are best and most attuned to it at night. Sometimes it's lunch, whatever. Figure out what works best for you, but pick a time and schedule it. And when someone says, hey, can you meet me at noon? Say, how about 1230? Because I have noon scheduled already. Because if we always just wait until we have enough time, we'll never have the time. So I think that's very helpful. Next thing is uh, pick a plan. Pick a plan. Uh, ESV, again, I keep going back to it. You can just Google ESV uh, reading plans, and there's a ton of different things. You can read chronological plan. You can read uh, a plan of just going through a gospel, so it tells you how much to read per day. Uh, I love, it's called the McCain plan. It's just reading the whole Bible in a year, and it's a little bit of everything. It's like an Old Testament. It's a proverb. It's a psalm, and it's something in the New Testament. Just find what works best for you. What's important is that you're actually reading. What helps with the plan is I don't believe God has intended it, and I've done this before. Turn on your fan, right? You know I'm going with it. Hold it out, and just like keep waiting until the fan puts you somewhere. You know, and then, all right, and then I'm just, I'm reading that verse because that's where my eye first met. All right, God, this is the moment. You know, I'm, that's not good, proper Bible reading. Um, it's just weird. Okay, so don't do that. I wish I can just have footage of every, well, I bet we've all done it, right? Imagine we just like, look at you. This is when he, Johnny, did it at six years old. Look at that. And so anyways, we've all done it. Let's just move on beyond that. But pick an actual plan. I looked it up. I I have to figure out a way to share it, but there's this, this uh, it's called E100, E-100 plan. It's great because it takes you from the beginning and to the end, and it gives you the 100 most important chapters in the Bible that helps you understand the full grand narrative. Maybe that's a really great place to start. You, uh, there's also, um, this is my last, just, you can really look into these, but version. anybody have the version Bible app? Those have thousands of plans, and you can do according to uh, topic, It'll take you through a reading plan. It can do according to a book, according to just the prop, everything. It's amazing, and you feel accomplished if you're a checkmark guy because you can check it off every day, and you can go save people now. Okay, here's the last thing. Pick a partner. Don't try to do this alone. It can get very discouraging. And, man, so much of this we're going to talk about next week, but this isn't meant just to be internally processed and never verbally spoken through and walk through with somebody else. You're not going to get the power that happens unless you do that. And so pick a partner. Uh, wisdom that we share, the only time it should be the opposite sex is if it's your wife. Uh, but if you're male, find another male and walk through the Bible together. And uh, yeah, that would be... Now, my, my book suggestions for tonight are what's on there. I actually have the Kindle version because I'm cheap, so I 
can't show you, but Grasping God's Word by J. Scott Duvall is the best when it comes to biblical interp. It'll show you literary. It'll show you how to study, look for context. It's a fascinating book. Guys, think about it. This is so worth your time. Amen. Um, but here's another if, super academic book, but it is helpful, is How to Read the Bible for, for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee. You can come up here and, and grab and look at it. But it looks at each literary Again, literary is so important, and it, and it walks through things to look for. A little bit more academic. I read this in high school, and it kind of went over my head, but I had to reread it in college, and it was helpful for me. And then the last thing, I think I'm going to mention it even more next week, but Growing Up by Rob Gallaty. Growing Up by Rob Gallaty. What's great about this book, it talks about the importance of having a partner. It's talking about discipleship, but it gives a very helpful way to walk with God. It gives helpful way to understand scripture. Very practical, very plain. You can get way deeper, but he decides not to. It's a fascinating book to bring somebody else through with. In fact, I'm doing it with four other dudes right now. This is a great book in understanding how do we approach scripture, how do we apply in community, all those types of things. So again, another uh, book recommendation I have is the Bible. So that that's, you should probably do that. 